Hello and welcome to Intelligence Talks. I'm Liam Bailey. I'm head of research here at Knight Frank. Global housing markets are adapting to a world of higher interest rates and even luxury markets are seeing reversals in pricing. Our prime global cities index recently revealed that average annual price growth across 46 luxury urban markets across the world turned negative in the first quarter of this year and that's the first time since the financial crisis. And it's against that backdrop that we recently produced and released our 2023 Global Branded Residence Report. And that takes a deep dive into this rarefied market segment. And I've got to say the results were much more positive than I expected when I embarked on the project. And to help me unpack the findings of that report, I'm joined by a man who knows this sector inside out, uh, Vice President of Residential at the Four Seasons, James Price. Welcome to you, James. Thank you, Liam. Good morning. James, before we dive into the report, can you just define what do we mean when we refer to branded residences? The branded residential sector is really where developers will develop a residential project and they will agree with whatever brand it is um, to put the brand into the naming of that project. And essentially, that means different things, I think, across different brands. The sector's become very large now. So you've got a myriad of different types of brands. It started really with the hotel operator brands. So ourselves and Mandarin, Ritz-Carlton, etc. And what that means is that those brands, you know, continue to manage the properties. The properties are sold by the developer under the brand name and the brand remains, you know, in place with those properties sort of for the, for the long term. You also have now other brands, whether that be car manufacturers, luxury fashion houses, you know, even sort of architects, you know, have developed their own sort of brands, if you like. And so it's really where a developer sort of feels that there's an opportunity to sort of put the brand together with their project with the aim of increasing marketability and and also, you know, generally trying to increase price point that they can get from the sales. Let's just start thinking about the demand side of the story. So in the report that we've just released, I was interested in looking at the key metrics that support the demand side of the sector. So I was thinking about wealth creation, travel numbers, and also property demand. And actually, the fundamentals seem to be very well placed in in terms of that future buyer demand story. So in short, we know that this year is going to be a challenging year for real estate globally. But the medium term outlook in terms of those fundamentals that are of relevance to the branded residence sector seem relatively positive. So we record or we're reporting in in our report more wealthy people globally. So we're expecting to see 28.5% more ultra high net worth individuals created over the next five years. Those wealthy individuals will be traveling more. So we confirm that by 2027, there's an expectation that there'll be 31% more overnight stays in hotels compared to the pre-pandemic peak. And they'll be investing in property. So just going back to another report that uh, Knight Frank produces, the Wealth Report, we pointed in that report to demand for residential property remaining above the pre-pandemic trend, um, despite current significant economic headwinds. So all in all, in terms of that demand side story, it was a relatively positive reading. How does that reflect your view of the market right now? And as you're looking into the, the next year or so? Well, I think certainly, you know, what we've seen is there is ongoing demand. And I think people are driven, particularly to the brands, and obviously our experience is is predominantly around our own brand. But I mean, people are drawn to those brands because they associate them with credibility. You know, if there's a project, maybe in a new market, 
perhaps a developer doesn't have a sort of huge track record, if they bring a brand into play, it just gives the buyer a sense of confidence that, you know, what is being promised will be delivered. And obviously all the kind of the brand attributes that people respond to on a personal level, you know, that's part of the appeal. And I think that what we've seen in our locations, whether those be in the most established mature markets or whether those be in sort of emerging secondary markets, is that the price performance has been very strong and the pace of sale has also been very strong. And really the developers are looking for a balance between pace and price. They want to achieve the premiums and they want to obviously sort of, you know, have a reasonably good cadence of sales, if you like. So I think that the demand side is is clearly there. The buyers do respond positively generally to the sort of the value proposition, if you like, of the branded resi. I think that people will start to interrogate a little bit more what they're actually getting in the long term. I think it's one thing to sort of, you know, put the brand name on a project and sort of, you know, it helps the marketing. But buyers increasingly want to know, you know, how long will the brand be in here for? What am I actually getting as as an owner of, you know, a Four Seasons property? And so we make it very clear for the developers and their sales teams or third-party agents. You know, we, we spend a lot of time sort of working with them to really kind of help them understand what they're getting when they buy with the Four Seasons and, you know, when they own that property for the long term. So I think, you know, understanding that value proposition for us, obviously based predominantly around sort of, you know, hotel style services. I think understanding that is really the sort of key driver for the ongoing market demands that we're seeing. But yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, we haven't really seen any drop off in that. I think people are responding very positively to it. And I think that, you know, in a climate where people perhaps are, you know, maybe less certain or have pause for thought, I think, again, the credibility that a leading brand brings, brings a lot of comfort to the buyers. That's a very positive picture as well. But is that the same globally or some regions performing better than others? The branded residences really took root in, in the US predominantly. And I think that, you know, the Americas is still a very, is the leading market for that, as your report showed in terms of, you know, the volume of, of, of projects. We've seen other markets where it's really exponentially grown in the, in the last sort of 10, 20 years, Middle East being a prime market. I mean, Dubai and Miami are probably, you know, the, the leading territories where you're seeing, you know, a high number of different brands compete in those markets. Some of the Asian markets, again, there's a high proliferation of branded residential, whether that be in sort of Bangkok or Kuala Lumpur or places like that. And I think that, you know, those markets are strong and there's ongoing new projects coming into those markets. I think there are other markets which perhaps are lagging behind a little bit. We have seen in Europe, for example, that it's taken a little bit longer for the branded residential sector to take root properly. I think that there are a number of reasons for that. I think Europe is perhaps a little bit more of a traditional market where people are focused on particular postcodes or, or you know, they, they have to be in a certain street or neighborhood. And that's really the driver for them. And they're looking for unique properties. And perhaps at first glance, they think, well, if I buy with a brand that's got a portfolio of other projects, maybe I'm not getting anything that differentiated. I think that that is changing. You know, we've had um, recent success with um, projects in in places such as London. We've got a standalone property in Grosvenor Square, which was very successful. We had a successful project which uh, opened a few years ago and sold very well in Madrid. And we've got a strong pipeline in Europe. And I think that developers have started to see that, you know, in that European marketplace, buyers are still responding well to the brand proposition. They are paying premium prices and it makes sense for the developers to look at that. So whilst Europe has taken a little bit longer, I think the pipeline is very strong, but it's certainly been underrepresented from a sort of a branded standpoint. And in terms of that pipeline, the research that we've just released points to 
Globally, development numbers rising by about 12% a year, every year up to 2026. That rate of growth isn't making you nervous then? So I think two things. From our standpoint, we think that there's still a huge amount of room for growth. We have 53 properties which are open and operating around the world now. We've got a pipeline close to 50. You know, we're in development at the moment or sort of different stages of development, but we're hoping to have certainly 30 plus of those open within the next five years. So it's a very strong growth curve. I mean, our first private residence was in Boston in 1985. So it's taken us quite some time to sort of get to this point. But I think we're going to be close to double, you know, our volume count in pretty short time. We believe that there is room for growth. As I said, it's all about making sure that each property is treated as a unique property. Of course, there are certain common factors that we bring to those projects, but they are individual projects. Everything is treated sort of from ground up. We work with the developers to ensure that there is differentiation in the market and that you're bringing something new to buyers that they'll respond to. So that's, I think, our perspective on on that. I mean, as I look at the broader branded sector, as I was saying, there are a lot of brands coming into the market and just sort of each week seems that there's a new type of brand coming in. And you have to kind of wonder a little bit what they're bringing beyond the sort of the marketing gloss. And, and it's not clear to me necessarily what the sort of the, the long term value proposition is for some of the brands, apart from, you know, just a connection that a buyer might feel to that brand. And certainly I think that they all will put in place a high level of service offering. But I'm not sure that the brands that are coming in are all at the same level in that regard. And I think that when I look at our properties and our, the way that we approach this, it's very much about long-term sort of residential property management. We've been doing it for nearly 40 years, as I said, when, from opening in Boston. So we really understand what the homeowners want from Four Seasons. And of course, it's all the front of house services that they expect, sort of hotel style services. But it's also the property management that we provide behind the scenes. So it's making it hassle free. And really, it's the service and, and that management, which is in our DNA as hotel operators, which is the you know, we bring to bear in the residential sphere. Just um, thinking about the European market in a bit more detail. So you and I spoke for the report and um, we got your contribution in, in, in the report, which our listeners can access. But when we were speaking, you were talking about European market and the growth of the resort market, but also urban schemes as well. But you were talking about the challenge in Europe around availability of urban sites and actually potentially the need for more standalone uh, development, so sort of not actually adjacent to hotels. It, do you want to just explain how that works and, and, and what the challenges are for, for developers? First and foremost, Four Seasons is, you know, we look for mixed-use projects. So we want to have residential, which is connected to a hotel. It is having a world-class hotel on your doorstep, which is the sort of the under underpinning sort of uh, proposition, if you like. We've started to sort of go into standalones, which I'll explain a little bit more in in a second. But when you think about the opportunities in in Europe, you want to be in in the cities, you want to be in the prime historic city centres in, in, you know, A plus locations. Our hotels have to be in the best sites. So those often in those historic centres, you know, you're not getting huge development opportunities. It's really more conversions of existing properties. And those rarely bring with them the ability to develop additional residential to go alongside the hotel. So we want to get the hotel pinned in the ground, established. And then what we'd look to do alongside that is, in an ideal world, find in close proximity an opportunity to sort of maybe do what we call a standalone residential, but perhaps with some level of connectivity to the hotel. 
The standalone residential is a model which, you know, we've been, again, roll, rolling out for a number of years now. We've, I think, got seven or eight which are up and, up and operating in a similar number in pipeline. And these are essentially private residential projects or properties that are not directly connected to a hotel. So they have their own amenity program. They obviously have their own dedicated staff. So it's a slightly different model from our integrated mixed-use properties where they're, you know, you're leveraging shared you know, services from the hotel. But again, they've proven to be very successful. I think that the appeal for buyers in those is that you're getting all of those hotel standard and style services and amenities, but you're not having the kind of transient guests in and around your areas. It's much more of a kind of a private uh, sphere. So I think as we look at Europe, you know, the combination of hotels being in the city centers and the prime sites probably most likely to be conversions of existing properties, whether it be hotels or offices or whatever, into a Four Seasons hotel. And then if there isn't scope to sort of add residential to that, um, then we would look for separate sites. The other thing I think about um, our pipeline, and it differs a little bit between some of the brands who are quite focused on urban centers, we still have a very clear sort of aim to to build our resort portfolio as well. In Europe, there's probably greater opportunity for resorts. We've got a very strong pipeline uh, of projects that will be sort of, you know, coming coming through in the next sort of three to four years. The reason for that is that these are very kind of brand enhancing. So some of the locations that you can establish your, your projects in are beautiful areas, really they resonate with, with not just hotel guests, but they also resonate as property markets with buyers. They add a lot of value to the brand, but also it means that we can uh, additionally do rental programs for the residences in those properties because you're doing a rental program where you're going to have transient guest traffic in that resort we could keep a clear focus on adding those to the portfolio because they're good business reasons for us to do it, as well as just balancing the overall kind of portfolio for, for us. And just on that resort story, if you think about the UK, I'm, I'm just thinking, is the it's a different market, obviously, for, from, say, the south of France or the Greek islands. Uh, so actually, is the branded story in the UK really just centered on London and doesn't move outside of London in the future? Predominantly, it's been centered on London, of course, and there's quite a number of sort of branded residential projects now in London. You know, I think that there's still a great market for more opportunities there as well. Historically, there hasn't really been much outside of London. Obviously, there's the, um, the Lakes Bayou, which was established some years ago uh, over towards the Cotswolds. And I think that, um, you know, that's been a successful project. So I think wherever we see demand for homeowners who want to have prime sort of destination they want to have the four seasons experience but where there are you know opportunities for what we might call destination communities which are outside of the main centers we would look at those we've got a couple of properties that we're looking at in the same in a similar vein we have a property in lake austin so just outside austin itself which will be a branded sort of four seasons residential community and i think that there's definitely scope for mirroring that in sort of some key sites where they're just very well established second home markets if you like so you know, somewhere like the Cotswolds would make sense. Um, south of France, as you mentioned, Tuscany, you know, places like that that have been on the map for homeowners, for, for buyers for, you know, years. There is every chance that, um, you know, we would look at those markets and sort of decide, yes, we think the brand could do something there. There might not be the right locations for hotels, of course, but, you know, they do make sense from a residential standpoint. The pandemic obviously had a huge influence in disrupting property markets in lots of different ways. But in terms of, say, home working, flexible working, is that something which is being accommodated in the branded residence space? Or is it all about leisure from the developer's perspective? 
For sure, Liam. I think that, you know, what we've seen at a number of different levels, so firstly, starting with the locations, you know, again, as we were just talking about, there is a move to maybe looking at sort of second home locations where people are likely to be spending more of their time working from those sort of splitting time between the sort of the main location of their office or whatever and having that home time. So that, again, is another driver for why you might look at these sort of destination community sort of locations just outside of the main centers. People are going to spend more time there, so there's more demand there. I think also within the designs of the properties, the space planning of of individual units is definitely kind of reflecting that. So we're seeing developers think a bit more about, you know, how somebody might use their, their home. So it's no longer just the sort of living, dining, kitchen, bedroom. It's creating more different spaces and zones within the properties. So whether that be just sort of, you know, downtime or kind of, you know, more office space, that's uh, definitely a factor. And then I think also within a project on the communal areas, the communal amenities, we're seeing designs that are being put in place, which will have more multifunction spaces so people can sort of either hire them out for events or they can close them off and have smaller boardroom facilities. So being able to sort of, you know, do business and have have meetings and sort of welcome people into those common areas within the properties is also something that we've seen. So yes, I think that the market is is evolving to meet the shift post-COVID for sure. Final question. I talked about in the opening the 31% growth in travel up to 2027, which is a net positive, obviously, for the industry. People are moving and and, uh, more mobile. But it does sort of bring to mind sustainability issues, which are obviously becoming more pressing for all real estate companies. How does the branded residence sector help sort of minimize environmental impacts of projects? How, How has that been accommodated? Well, I think predominantly through sensitive and sustainable design. So for sure, we're seeing buyers that demand that the way that a project has been put together, the design, the construction has as minimal footprint, if you like, as as possible. So using locally sourced materials versus sort of shipping things from all over the world. Part of the sustainability is also about, you know, making sure that when you create a property, a project like we have, which requires, you know, labor to come in, again, it's looking at a sort of local labor base versus sort of, you know, bringing people in. Obviously, there are certain positions that we have where you need to have people that have got maybe experience that they might come from across our network. But generally, we look to sort of, you know, keep a you know, local you know, employment base for the projects. And then I uh, I think as we look at, uh, as I say, some of the designs around just efficiencies using sort of, you know, renewable energy sources, et cetera. I mean, this is a big feature across, you know, all the, all the projects really that we're working on. As it relates to people moving around, we sort of feel that the homes that we're putting in place for people perhaps offer an opportunity for people to move between different places. And, you know, certainly we've seen an increase of people maybe owning multiple Four Seasons properties. But predominantly, the properties are capturing markets which are at the top end of the domestic market. So I would say that a pretty high percentage of people, maybe not in the most international destinations like a London or New York or a Miami or a Dubai, where you're getting a myriad of different nationalities buying into those. But in a lot of the areas where we have properties, our buyer base really comes from the top of that local market. Sure, there's a sprinkling of international buyers, but people are buying there because they want to be in that market. They need to be in that market. You know, it's driven by that requirement first, and then the brand benefits come after that. So I think that, you know, it's not necessarily kind of driving lots of different buyers sort of travel or increasing buyer travel across different sites. I think, you know, we see that obviously a little bit more on the hotel side of things. But um, I would say that the main response to this is really through the sort of the design phase. And 
again, operationally, you know, we, we try to make sure that um, as with our hotels, so with our residences, when we operate these things, we're doing them on as efficient a basis as we possibly can. So, you know, zero plastics and things like this is really kind of the, uh, the drive that we want to have. So it's partly in the bill, but it's also the ongoing operations. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much. Listen, that's a great place to bring our conversation to a close. James, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Liam, very much. It's been a pleasure and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. And it just leaves me time to remind you all that for more analysis, you can subscribe to our research note that goes out each Monday, Wednesday and Friday or any one of our sector newsletters. All of that is detailed in our show notes. I'll also put a link in there to our branded residence report. And finally, please subscribe to Intelligence Talks wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you very much for listening to this episode. Listener.